0: Hi, I'm Brandon O'Brien from Redeemer City to City. In this series, Church and Outbreak, we're talking with staff and ministry partners around the country as we try to figure out together how to respond wisely and faithfully to the global COVID-19 pandemic. Beginning March 15th, many churches around the country and around the world were prohibited from gathering for weekend services. So church leaders scrambled to get their services online. Now more and more cities have shut down all but essential services. People everywhere are practicing social distance. And the implications for ministry are huge. What should churches keep doing? What should they stop doing? What should they start doing that they've never done before? How many of these changes are for right now? And how many should be permanent? Thanks for listening. In this episode, Missy Wallace of city to citys Global Faith Work Institute talks with Aaron Daly, who planted and co-leads Redemption Church Alhambra. Aaron is part of the leadership team for Redemption Church Arizona and the Surge Network, and is Southwest Catalyst for city to city North America. Missy and Aaron talk about the massive disruption to work that has been one of the major consequences of the COVID crisis. Record numbers of people are filing for unemployment. And other workers like nurses and teachers are overtaxed and tired. And as a result of this disruption, many pastors are going to have to rethink how to care for congregants whose financial and work situations changed overnight. This is a really helpful conversation. Thanks for joining us.
1: So I am talking to Aaron Daly today. I'm so glad to have you here, Pastor Daly. Thank you. you. <laughs> Aaron and I have gotten to know each other over the last three or so weeks. We both work in the City to City Global Network. And Aaron has been helping me put together a uh, framework as we think about work disruption in this COVID crisis. And one thing we've discovered, and uh, obviously it's the headlines of the newspaper, uh, more and more and more people are unemployed every day Um, As of Friday, there were record unemployment claims being filed, and pastors around the world will be called into pastoring the unemployed, perhaps in ways they never have before. And so Aaron is here to discuss that with us because Aaron has spent most of his uh, ministry pastoring the unemployed. But before we get going, first off, Pastor Daly, how are you and your family? Are you all healthy amidst the virus and are you doing okay personally before we get going?
2: Yes, by God's grace, we have experienced health and protection. You know, we've had some uh, bouts of non serious sicknesses, but, you know, not enough to get tested on stuff. And then they went away. So, you know, I'm, I'm thankful. I got a large family and we've been hunkering down and haven't experienced uh, mass sickness yet, but by God's grace, we won't, but we'll, we'll see, uh, either way, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to prepare for it.
1: Well, that's, I'm, I'm glad that you're healthy and thanks for spending time away from your own context to contribute to the global context. Why don't you start by telling us a bit about, um, the church where you spend most of your time pastoring. And I know you're also a director of planting, So maybe the, um, you know, just just a bit about your context.
2: Okay, I've been a a bivocational pastor for over uh, 18 years now. We planted the church in um, an inner city area. And uh, so there's a few levels of my context. One would be I work with Surge and City to City as now my, you know, other part of my job. I also... I'm a part of a multi-congregational church. We have nine congregations, and I sit on the executive team of that. It's called Redemption Church Arizona, and so I'm a part of that leadership team. And then on my local congregation setup, I get to be the lead pastor alongside a dear brother of mine named Wayne Winter. We co-lead the church together. He's an African-American brother, and uh, we have been able to pastor together together for the last uh, five years together. But I planted the church 18 years ago amongst, let's say, working poor, impoverished in a community called Alhambra in Phoenix. Um, And it's ethnically diverse. uh, A lot of refugees, migrant immigrants, uh, so it's social, economic um realities it's, it's mostly working poor a lot of families living in uh homes together sharing resources and bills that kind of stuff it's a high place for homelessness people experiencing homelessness or living on the streets and so because when you're in a community like that you know the crime rates and poverty rates and homelessness just the whole think of uh kind of uh, inner city area would be where we pastored. And um, it's kind of been a weird thing. We got given a building um, that is on kind of a bridge road by a church who had lost, you know, kind of touch with the community, had been around for a long time, gave us a building. So now we're kind of positioned as a church a building that's kind of right on a road that on the west side of the street has all this poverty and you know that on the east it's kind of developing so we've kind of taken this position of a multi-ethnic multi-economic if you will multi-everything kind of congregation there's about four or five hundred of us at least before this covid thing took place and uh and uh we have uh a beautiful community I I call family. I mean, honestly, it feels more like a family than it does an institution. So it's Mm -hmm. been a a real gift for for us. I don't know if that's enough info, but that's kind of
1: where we're at. That's very helpful. And it's really helpful to understand that you're right at the epicenter of some gentrification because I think that that context would be applicable to a number of people um, Mm who might be tuning in So tell me, um, when we first met, you talked to me about your experience pastoring people on the socioeconomic margins and that that type of pastoring is really quite different than pastoring more comfortable middle-class people. And so how would you tell me what you think are the major differences and how someone who has not pastored people on the margins very often might need to think a little differently?
2: Yeah. So the first thing I would want to say on my experience is that every pastor is shaped by their context and their experience. Um, and I would just say I've spent my whole life ministry uh, in the margins and and around people of, you know, different uh, economic classes and that kind of stuff. Although I wasn't raised in that environment, I found the most life and spirituality and faith and, um, Christianity, if you will, that I could see in scripture, I did not find that in the center. I actually found that on the margins. And so I feel like more blessed to be pastoring in a context like this than anything. I I, I, I hesitate to talk about its sacrifices because I think it's a massive, uh, I feel like I've gained more than I actually have given. Um, so I do feel a massive weight to at least in exclamation points say, I'm the blessed one by being in these places. Uh, The poor and marginalized have shaped my life. And I I believe Jesus uses the poor and marginalized as illustrations for what worship should look like and what giving should look like and what godliness should look like. And so I feel more blessed because I feel like they've taught me more than I could ever teach them. Um, and so that's where I have found, um, the most, at least feel of what it means to be a follower of Christ and to learn and all those kinds of things. So my, my experience definitely has been in that all of my life in ministry, my wife and I felt called and drawn to those contexts to kind of be around the places where we called it where nobody wanted to go. But, um, so that, that I I at least want to say that. Before I say, uh, most pastors, what I think have been taught, and I'm in the church planning world and I hear this all the time, is most pastors are kind of taught to go and target a group of people and build kind of a church community out of that targeted group of people. And what I've noticed, at least when you're kind of going, this is the kind of people I'm ministering to, and this is what our community is made up of. What that ends up doing is you create a whole context or a whole church based about, around uh, the group that you've targeted so you you and and every time they're targeting that group, it's interesting to me that they always are choosing people with power strength, money, influence uh, vitality, that kind of stuff so nobody's actually targeting, if you will, the poor or the marginalized, and so they've just always remained on the margins even in church communities because if you go in you can tell well this church is really geared towards families or this is towards young professionals or this is towards business leaders or this is towards this kind of reality and so everything they do has been shaped by the kind of person that they're trying to reach but most people are not making a real most churches are not making a real exerted effort to say hey How can we care for, reach, do life with, in community with the poor? And so I've personally felt disconnected from a lot of conversations. I mean, I think I told you this when we first the faith and worth conversation has always been felt disconnected from me because a lot of pastors will just choose the kinds of jobs they wish they had and then help those kinds of people, you know, so they usually go after the people that are doing great work rather than grunt work. And, um, and so all of that kind of stuff is we've geared our whole conversations around helping creatives and uh, productive people, business leaders, that kind of stuff. And so I felt really disconnected from a lot of the conversations because um, most of our ministries and lives and churches and everything has if we're honest ignored the margins and so it it just is felt disconnected for me in, in my own life and ministry for the most part and so I think now um that that will help shape kind of some of this conversation. I think there's a lot of good there but I do think it's an ignored section or a forgotten section of of the of society and the church and all of
1: that. So we have a a lot of pastors maybe listening whose um, congregants or constituents haven't historically been on the margins, but in six months, they may find themselves on the margins with layoffs like um, globally, like never before. And it's unclear whether this is, to use the words of some of our friends at another ministry called Praxis, it's unclear whether this is a blizzard, a winter or an ice age. Right, um if we're moving towards winter and ice age, um, pastors are going to be finding themselves with large swaths of their congregations unemployed. What could you teach them practically about how to pastor specifically to the unemployed um, in large numbers that maybe they don't didn't know before?
2: I mean, That's a really good question, so there's a couple of ways I can answer it, and maybe we can do however uh seems best for for people one would be when somebody is kind of historically um on the margins there's more than just economic realities to it there's actually systemic oppression that's involved with being on the margins of society like the whole system is working and In their way and they're on the outside of that system. So I want to at least delineate from those who are going to slip into the margins to know that they probably aren't slipping into the margins. They're probably just slipping into kind of a temporary poverty, to be honest, Mm -hmm. where they'll probably double down and work as hard as they can to take care of all of their lifestyle. And they'll immerse themselves into finding whatever jobs they can find to try to hustle and get things done as much as possible. So the territory that they'll find themselves in may not be the exact same. So I don't want to pretend that it is, meaning that most of their people might all all of a sudden become distracted and discouraged and all those kinds of things, but the system is still working for them. So the government is still trying to help them. Uh, Churches are still trying to reach them. Um, All these kinds of things. They
1: have social capital capital or educational capital or, yeah. Yeah,
2: they have a lot of resources at their disposal that those who are historically on the margins, not temporarily in unemployment, are going to have to. We'll have to delineate from. I would. I would hope that. Um, that those who are experiencing temporary poverty, if you will, would allow this season to give them more of a heart for the poor and for the marginalized, and that they would have a glimpse of why they've hated it so much, you know, <laughs> um, and and be able to maybe have some compassion on people who've been economically disadvantaged and have some sort. So I would hope inside of this kind of temporary, even if it's a couple of years, it's still temporary compared to those who've lived historically and grow, grown up in it and have, um, you know, walked in it for a long time. There, There's still a level of it that they're not going to ever be able to understand because the system is working for them.
1: Mm-hmm. So I
2: don't know if the, I'm not trying to, thwart the question i just want people to at least not go oh i've experienced that also yes. because it's not the exact same thing it's not like apples to apples is what it's i'm super saying. helpful yeah. yeah yeah so it's not just these people are unemployed yeah. so that's why they're in that spot there's a um a, a problem with all kinds of things and systems and structures that are around it that they're constantly, no matter how hard they try to find to get jobs, or no matter what's taking place, they're constantly like feeling they're fighting against this system. Yes. So um, I think pastors inside of that could do a couple of things that maybe would be helpful. I, I I would say my my experience would be when I'm working with, and maybe this could lead to the second question. I don't know, but um, I do think that inside of this. Pastors could really use the poor and marginalized who have historically been poor and marginalized to now become the teachers and and to teach those who um, have um, been there historically on what faith and vitality and spirituality looks like when you're not living in abundance, but you're living in just off your daily needs, kind of like manna, you know, and what does generosity look like when you're not giving off the top of your daily needs but it's actually sacrificial generosity what does it look like to actually work a job that may not be fun right now and you gain a lot of you know you know a lot of you know it it feeds you because you enjoy it you know it's one you have to like get out of bed and force yourself to do you know there's a lot of things that we would definitely be able to learn from those who are on the margins right now or have historically been there. So I think a lot of people are just afraid of losing abundance. I don't know how many are actually afraid of living um, living in poverty. I think they're just afraid of not being rich and uh-huh. not having a lot. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my pushback or struggle on that yeah. is like, man, I'm dealing with people who are just going to become more, like like more impoverished in this time, and are like literally figuring out how do they eat their next meal. Versus like maybe there'll be a season of that, but there's going to be a lot of help for them and a lot of resources. And I'm just been praying recently, like Lord, help us to allow this time to give us a heart for those who are you know poor and and those who are on the margin. So maybe using them as teachers, helping them lead through this, that kind of stuff is some of the stuff I'm thinking of. But I don't know if you want me to go into this second question, just just to kind of think, I do think a lot of pastoring that, that can be really helpful. And this is not just in time of crisis, but I think beyond times of crisis, is that the apostolic leaders or the pastors in scripture, if you will, would spend a lot of their time pastoring people according to their economic realities, um, and they would do it very differently. They wouldn't pastor everybody the same. And so I think when you're in multi, whatever kind of communities, you'll end up seeing people. Um, you'll end up seeing pastors having to address certain kind of peoples and places that they're in. And the thing that's been helpful for me is like texts like First Corinthians twelve. Um, and then First Timothy 6. I'll just point out a couple of ideas on this. First Corinthians 12 goes into that we're all one body, no matter Jew or Greek, slave or free. There's an economic reality into that slave or free language, um, but we're one in the spirit. We drink of the same cup, and then it gives two thoughts. It's the, it, it gives two ideas of, like, if you're, you know, If you're an eye or a hand that we're all a part of the same body, and then there's indispensable parts. I would just say those are kind of the marginalized parts, and then there's those parts that, or or there's the there's those parts that are the weaker or the more vulnerable parts, and then there's the parts that receive a lot of honor, and inside of that, uh, Paul is saying to them some very different messages. So he says to those who are the parts that are the weaker parts, you should never say you don't belong. Cause there's a sense of insecurity for the parts that um, feel like they don't have a lot to offer. They feel like they don't belong to the body. And he says, don't ever say you don't belong because there's a lot of people that will walk into the body of Christ or into the church and feel like I don't fit here. I don't belong here. Um, this is not, you know, there's insecurity. I don't have a lot to bring. Well, then there's another message that he gives to the parts that are a lot stronger. He says to them, never say, I don't need, because there's a tendency in those who have a lot to say, I can take care of myself and I don't need the weaker parts of the body. So he pastors very differently two types of groups. He says to one, don't be insecure and, and, and know your value, know your worth, know how much you belong. And at the same time, he's saying to those who have and are a lot and the privileged parts saying, you better never uh, say, I don't need. And I think he becomes even harsher and more confrontive towards the uh, stronger parts by saying a, never say, I don't need is, is kind of confronting their arrogance and pride because a lot of them have been able to operate separate from the weaker parts for for a long time and so they're saying i just don't need it i can do it all on my own i don't need them you know
1: so that's so that's completely in parallel with the model we've been building which is that people that have been not socioeconomically challenged that now suddenly find themselves challenged they're having um really some of their idolatries of comfort and Mm. um security really pulled out from under them and they've really been able to to, to you know, in a way, pretend without meaning to that they are God because they're bootstrapping yeah. and they're getting it done and they're successful. Yes. And um, so when we're pastoring people that are very, um, you know, disoriented from losing socioeconomic flexibility coming from that mindset of having had it. What is the balance between kind of blowing up and showing them their idolatry of comfort and security, versus mm-hmm. telling them that they they are God's beloved child, no matter what they do, even if they fail? Um, what's the balance of how you the support challenge for yeah. for those folks?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I'll answer that by saying this too with with First Timothy, because I think that that's a great question. First Timothy talks about he talks the first three verses about uh, six, where he talks to them about listen, if you're actually working for somebody or you're a slave or whatever, you should not look at those those who are your bosses as anything more than just brothers. Like they're your brother, so work for them like your brother. So know that you they're not above you there's but then he spends the rest of it talking about how the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and that actually more people have walked away from the faith because of their love of money than anything else and i think it's harder to pastor those who have than it is to pastor those who don't have and that's that's the the, i I think that's the part for pastors that they're really going to struggle with because a lot of scripture is um, calling pastors to pastor those who are weak and vulnerable and to tell them their worth, but at the same time to pastor those who have to say, you need to not love this so much. So you have to both confront idolatry and call out insecurities at the exact same time. And without the spirit and wisdom and help and the discernment of help going into somebody's heart, there's a A sense where we can be even comforting them and saying, oh, you'll get back to that and all those kinds of realities rather than really helping them to discern and pray that it could be grace right now, like total grace right now that God is showing you the things that you had been finding comfort in for so long instead of rather of turning you over to it he's showing you that those things could not satisfy you right mm. and that in the midst of this we've got to make sure we're offering our people where true satisfaction in life lies and and that is in in him and in in, in Christ and in his word and in trust in him and knowing that he's going to work them through this and so what we've been trying to do in the midst of this is allow God to do his work of uncovering our idols without getting in the way of that. Because I know you're doing that with the stuff that you guys are working on, which I think is, uh, thanks for sharing it with me because it's been powerful. I think we shouldn't be afraid of our idols being exposed because that's grace. That's grace that he would not allow us to just continue to kneel down to those things. And a lot of things are being uncovered covered to me. I mean, that's the reality. I think pastors are having their idols exposed right now, you know? So pastoring when your own idols are being exposed of like, I might've started leaning way too heavy on my Sunday morning gatherings. Not that they're not important, but it could have become an idol. It could have become more than just uh, a place of worship. It could have been my only place of worship, you know? And so God is like, starting to expose some of those things in us and and being vulnerable with them I've I've done that like being vulnerable with others like man I'm with you God's exposing stuff in me too like he's exposing my own idols you don't have to be harsh or critical or mean but also trusting that God's doing this work at the same time as allowing them to see like his goodness, that it's his kindness that brings us back. His anger is, is not default. It's momentary and it takes him a long time to get there. But even in his anger, it's always to bring us back to him, his kindness, his love, and that we would repent of things. And I mean, the navigation through a lot of this is really hard, but I will say pastoring people with money or who have had money is a very complicated thing, and I think it's harder. It's harder mm-hmm. to pastor the rich than it is to pastor the poor. At least in my, in, in my guesstimation, just because of their, you know, you hear Jesus saying it, it's harder for a rich man to enter, it's harder. You know, there's just more difficulties and complications and things that are laying them down, and I think a lot of pastors are gonna have to face that, that complication there.
1: Yeah, you can just fortify yourself a lot longer if you're rich on being in control, it takes a lot more to yeah. blow up your control. Yeah. So, um, how do you engage in provision and relief? Like day to day, you've got people who now can't mm-hmm. pay rent, can't get the phone bills. Do you have any tips on how to organize a body to meet those needs?
2: Yeah, the, I like how you question that that's the only way. You have to really mobilize the priesthood of all believers, you know, inside of this and people have to really grab a hold of their role as the body of Christ and caring for one another and sharing resources. So we've, I mean, there's a lot of things we've done, but I'm sure there's, there's so many ideas uh, that people can use, but we do have a continued like care for those who are experiencing homelessness, homelessness. We've had a lot of, you know, the food distribution and clothing distribution that we've been able to kind of have give out. And we have a whole team that will go out and try to meet. We try to partner all of our relief work with um, relational work too. So we don't just do mass relief stuff. We're we're saying whatever relief we give, we're calling them into relationship. Um, So we try to partner um, those things and saying, man, this right now is temporarily relieving, and we're thankful we can do it, but we would love to eat with you, not just give you food, we would love to um you know, and all that kind of stuff is complicated right now with the distancing, but we're trying to to do that faithfully and stay there and then also we're dropping a lot off a lot of food boxes to family or asking people to to give you know where they can and share needs with one another, and then at the same time show each other a lot of grace because a lot of us are experiencing the same thing. So there's a lot of limitations inside of that. So yeah, mobilizing the priesthood of believers has been the lang- the language that we've been using as pastors. I think, how do we equip the saints to do the work rather than feel like we got to do it all.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? And so I guess as your parting thought, um, what do you think is the most important things people pastoring in this time can be doing?
2: This is going to sound cliche, but it really is not. I think prayer is it. And it's hard for pastors to admit that maybe um, we haven't been dedicated to the ministry of prayer. And in those times of prayer, what ends up happening is, is we're not just talking, but we're listening to God speak in his spirit. He's going to bring in us all that we need. He's such a good teacher and such a good leader. That um, if we're pastoring not by might or power, but by his spirit, um, then what's going to happen in those moments is all these questions and concerns and how do I even address these idols and all these kinds of things that are there. We have this counselor, this helper, this guide, this leader, this person of the spirit that is with us. We're not alone, even though we're isolated and that we have all that we need the riches of Christ given to us in the spirit to navigate through this, but it's going to take us operating in a different mode as pastors. I think this, um, man, I've just been feeling the burden of like there, we got to pray and that, and, and I think all these resources that we've had all of this time, And all the things that we've been given and the ways that we're doing, we just have thought if I could get more educated, if I could read the next thing, if I could do this, if I knew what to do, I would do it. And it's kind of a law-based living rather than living by the spirit. It's like, we really believe if we knew the right thing to do, we would do it. Um, But we really need the spirit to help us to operate in this time. And that is going to take a lot of humility and prayer. And I think for most pastors, and I'm, pointing all fingers back at myself, our plans, our strategies and everything have been our, it's just been our deal. We're really good at planning and strategizing, Mm. but um, I'm praying that uh, this will be a renewal of, of learning to pray and hear of God's voice and be led by his spirit.
1: Mm. Tim Keller in a devotion this morning said, put your own oxygen mask on first before Mm. you put it on for others. So I think um,
2: that's really good.
1: I think that's a great place to stop. And um, just thank you for your time and your attention. And if anyone wanted to reach out to you and ask any questions, how could they get in touch with you?
2: Um, I'm on all social platforms. But you can also email me, Aaron Daly, A-A-R-O-N-D-A-I-L-E-Y at redemptionaz.com. So redemptionaz.com. So, or you can go onto any of my social platforms. It's Pastor Aaron D. So P-A-S-T-O-R-A-A-R-O-N-D. You can find me on all of them if you want hit to hit me up. I'd love to pray with you.
1: Well, thank you so much for um, your thoughts and your commitment to Phoenix and all that you're doing in the Arizona area, and particularly for loving those on the margin, being an example and um, someone we can all learn from. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.